0: Basketball teams are entering the final month of the NBA regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locked to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the Larry O'Brien trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game, And if during that game, the team of your choosing hits a three, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 101 odds of the team of your choosing to hit a three. They don't even need to win. This year's teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace. So get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. So you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a 3. That's code TBPN to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. It's one, eight hundred nine four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six seven seconds or less week here at the Basketball Podcast. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast, the number one basketball history podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network, and we're number one because we are the only one. I'm Jeremy Brenner, the CEO of Basketball Nostalgia, and this week we're talking Phoenix Suns, seven seconds or less era, one of the most exciting eras of basketball, personally for me, because it's a team that I grew up watching, and it's one of those teams that really got you excited just because they were super, quiet, super quick, super fast, and super fun to watch, and I've got three of the brightest suns' minds here in the game, Whoa. and they are one of the newest wow. additions to the Basketball Podcast Network. It's the Sol- It's the Solar Panel Podcast. We have Dave King. Saul Bookman and Espo here with me this week guys how are y'all today and thank you for joining the show
1: oh we're doing doing great we can't wait to talk about history we got the best Suns team since this era uh so let's go ahead and recap that era and remember how great it was excited to be here very much so (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey if if there were ever a podcast that's really good at talking about the past, it's us because for the last four years we've had to do it because there hasn't been good basketball in Phoenix. So we've longed for the seven seconds or less days for uh, for a long time now. yeah yeah
0: and and you know the team has been performing exceptionally well this year they they've really built off of that momentum that they built in the bubble this past summer and it's it's exciting to see the suns back in contending basketball window because I think I think the league there's a certain bright spot, no pun intended, when when the Suns are at the height of the NBA's power. So you know, but enough of that. We we don't talk about current day issues. That's for your guys' podcast, the solar panel podcast. So if you're looking for suns news, current suns analysis, feel free to check these guys out and let's let's just jump right into it guys so we're gonna rewind this train back to i guess let's i'm gonna ask you guys where we should start because you know we can start at the very very beginning or we can start right when you know Steve nash comes because that's truly when this era truly begins but there are pieces that are part of this team that start before then so I guess what are the origins of this team, and how does this team truly begin its journey? Seven
3: seconds left does not happen until Steve Nash starts. Like it just, I I know, I know. Stoudemire came before that. I understand that, but Steve Nash is the engine that makes seven seconds or less even possible. It just is. is.
2: Saul Bookman, totally disgracing Sean Marion yet again. Nobody gives Sean his proper due. Uh, the the foundation of Seven That's Seconds or Last is laid in 1999 when they draft Sean Marion. That is the very first piece that falls into place for for what will become seven seconds or less and without Sean Marion there is no seven seconds or less so that draft oh, in, and one but that was select- a
1: really deep foundation I mean come on ninety nine five years before
2: five years
1: you, you suffered through Stefan Marbury for
2: Christ's get, sake like no. I get it I get it but Who's you? you don't oh, have do you seven <laughs> seconds or less without Marion. You you
3: you do you absolutely do
2: you Do not you do you do not you saw what happened as to it when Sean gets traded, we'll get to that. But it starts when he's drafted. That's that's the. It sure okay. didn't exist when so Sean was there
1: before. It started when he was a little baby in 1999. <laughs> this started, little germination. was a twinkle. It, it, it was a twinkle in 1979
3: in the eye. when Papa <laughs> Marion
0: and Mama Marion. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Jesus. Oh wow. That probably wasn't. It a, started when Jesus. Adam and Eve I and mean, that's right. <laughs> and there you go. That's that's truly when it started. But
1: Adam and Eve begat Sean, Marion. So, so, and o- so obviously
0: we all
3: disagree on when it started. Obviously, the foundation started with it the drama prior to that. But let's be real, like the, the era, the seven seconds or, or or less era started when Steve Nash got there.
0: Yeah, well, an interesting yeah. tidbit to kind of kind of yeah, tie everything season together season. is the fact that without Steve Nash, you don't get Sean Marion because in the early part, Steve Nash obviously drafted in ninety-six by the Suns. And two-ish years later, he's traded to Dallas for a package of a couple just NBA <laughs> guys, I guess Pat Garrity was probably the best of those guys that were no, currently Michael in Michael Michael Finley, was in that. That, wasn't he? yeah, Michael Finley was in that deal. So but they get the draft pick from 1999 and that pick turns into the Matrix Sean Marion. Sean Marion. So yeah. in a in a weird twist of fate It was Steve Nash. See, I told you.
2: (laughs) Okay. See, I think it's. I think it's. Steve and Espo
1: chuckled when
2: when Jeremy said, You don't get Uh, Sean Marion without how the turntables. Espo was up. How how the the
1: turntables.
2: Jeremy, I I applaud you. You just schooled three Suns guys on Suns history, and I'm (laughs) kicking myself. I've done
0: my research.
2: So so that is true. But.
0: Okay so you bring in Sean yeah. Marion 1999 and he he develops and yeah. Amari Sotomayor drafted in 2002 he begins to develop but the the success on the court doesn't begin until Steve Nash returns to the Suns in the 4 oh, in the 0405 offseason or yeah. excuse me yep yeah yes. after after the 2004 season so when you find out that Steve Nash is coming back what are y'all's thoughts? Like, was this is like, Oh, here we go again. Like, Oh, you know, cause I mean, he had, had some pretty oh, the- decent success in Dallas. He was an all NBA third team, was an all-star, had some success with Dirk. So you find out you're getting Steve Nash. What do you, what do you think for the Suns moving forward? This is a team we- that won 29 games the year before. What are you expecting going into the 0405 season with Steve Nash in tow again? In my mind,
1: exactly what fans expected two months ago when Chris Paul uh, was acquired, um, I, we expected I I, the, I remember reading one of those preseason magazines back in the day when magazines were the way to get your information. Um, yeah, and preseason magazines that predicted the Suns with Steve Nash would win about 40 games out of 82. They thought, oh, they'll be better than the year before's 29-win team because they'll finally have a point guard to run the show. Um, but Joe Johnson was actually coming off a pretty inefficient, pretty bad year as one of the highest minutes guys in the league. Uh, but you had Sean Marion. You had Amari Stoudemire. You had a good foundation. Steve Nash. Quentin Richardson got um, – uh, Signed and traded as well to the Suns, um, but they were still picked to be a playoff possible, um, but not a contender. And then all of a sudden, they blew uh, the doors off the league with, I believe, it was a thirty-one to four start that uh, made everyone change their minds.
2: Well, look, it was it was actually a disappointment for a lot of Suns fans, if you remember, because they had all the cap room, and Kobe Bryant was option number one, that off season, that was really who they wanted to go after. They had prepared a whole pitch. Uh, there's actually a, a leather bound book with that, that still exists. That was a, a pitch that was made to Kobe Bryant to come to Phoenix. That was what fans wanted. They thought that was how they were going to turn things around. And Nash was kind of one B, uh, in, in that. And, I don't remember as much excitement as you would have thought to bring Steve Nash back because back injuries, you had Mark Cuban saying, well, you know, he's good, but I think he's probably past the prime. That's why we're not going to going to spend as much money as Phoenix is on him. The excitement level was, as Dave said, you know, okay they'll they'll improve to 40 wins. It'll be it'll be better than it was. But this isn't this isn't Steve Nash superstar. This is uh Steve Nash, decent player, probably on the backside of his career is the mentality that everybody has when when he gets signed that June. Yeah July. they
3: were they were preseason uh plus 10, 000 to even make it to the finals or win the championship. Like the odds were yeah. definitely stacked against them. And it was just I, – I, I, I like Dave's point about the Chris Paul similarities in terms of the expectation placed on the team prior to the actual performance of the team. And Steve Nash, I, I, I just – I remember watching the first couple games and I was like, oh, this is different. This is absolutely different. Mm-hmm. It was just a different vibe. It was a different feel. And, and the crazy thing was is that nobody could see that coming. I think that's the funnest part about this team is that nobody saw it coming, and then when it happened, we were basically the talk of the NBA for the next, you know, several years because of the fun style of basketball, which ended up transforming the game as we know it today.
0: Yeah, and I think a huge part of that has to do with what Mike D'Antoni brought to this team and how he morphed this this offense and. Really, it, obviously, what Saul mentioned, it changed the game. You see how it has, you know, kind of looked into today's game where a lot of these teams are are utilizing more possessions, you know, fewer, you know, not going deep into the shot clock as much. Because if you look back even 2004, you have the Pistons Pacers uh, right. Conference Finals, which, you know, is first to 70 wins. And you see the Suns here. They're getting 70 right. points and a half. and. Yeah like it, it totally changed the game. So, I guess let I want, I want to talk about more about the offense, the Xs and Os of the 7 seconds or less offense and why it was as successful as it was in the very beginning.
2: Well, can I yeah, can I, mean, I actually change my vote on when 7 seconds or less started? I think it was when <laughs> Frank Johnson fooled around with a sponsors' oh, uh, wife and Mike uh-huh. Dantoni became a uh, Became the interim oh. head coach. That's, oh, that's money, but he was it it. look Mike D'Antoni eee.
1: was great and what what Mike D'Antoni is he's like a mechanic he he tunes up the car he hands you the keys and he says go and yeah. Steve Nash was the perfect driver of that car uh, Dan Mike his his whole thing is the best defense is is outscoring them and so you just you just go fast you score and you know, what's funny is they they regret to this day that they didn't go even faster. That, yeah. those Suns teams that led the league in pace and offense and all that for years would be like almost worst uh, slowest in the league today because the sun that sun's team did change the way basketball is played in a very good way of course the rules had changed as well the suns just were the first team to take the most advantage of it in those fight for 70 uh, conference finals uh, you were allowed to be a lot more physical and then the nba changed the rules and not allowing the physicality then touch fouls were fouls now instead of just touches um, so all of a sudden there's a lot more room to move for a little uh, a little guy out and out on the perimeter like Steve Nash. And so when the rules change, Steve Nash is that's what helped him become an MVP of the league.
3: What's so crazy is is uh, the the great the greatness of seven seconds or less ends up being the downfall of seven seconds or less as well, especially for uh, all the guys involved. Uh, you know, let's start with Dan Tony. D'Antoni goes, you know, he jumps from here. I think he went to the Knicks, and so then he goes to the to the Rockets. And at the Rockets, Lakers I think it was last Yeah, Lakers, Lakers in between. In and then last, last year, uh, the Rockets basically did what D'Antoni hoped they would do in Phoenix, and they got rid of Clint Capella because they wanted to go smaller and they wanted to play faster, and it was an absolute disaster. Uh, it did not work for anybody involved, and now you see what has happened to Houston since. Like, They've gotten rid of D'Antoni. Harden's out of the out of town, like – it just ends up being like a lot of people thinking – think not just accepting what they had in front of them was a unique blend of talent that made this engine run as smoothly as it did. Uh, truly yeah. remarkable. And you look at those rosters, like the very first roster – like outside of the core, like six, I'll throw Leandro Barbosa in there. There yeah. is a ton
1: nothing. of trash on that roster. Yeah. There is yeah. nothing to write home about. The fact that they picked up, they signed Jim Jackson off the street and he was their their seventh best player that mm-hmm. year it tells you what the depth. And Walter oh, McCarty
2: yeah. also but that was always picked the up in a trade problem. for a
1: second round pick. Smush they, Parker they just, was on that team.
2: Yeah. Huh? I mean, they did, they, but they that was part of his plan. Very very small rotation, like that. Yeah. It, that was it was. Yeah. I'm running with my guys, literally and figuratively, and yeah. and I'm not going to dip into a bench. And the interesting thing about about that offense was it was the combination of the speed, the pick and roll game that Nash had with Amari and Marion, and then the fact that they that they put some shooters uh, around there too. This is Quentin Richardson, Joe Johnson. You know Nash, obviously. Uh, could shoot the three, uh, so it's a, so you look at that and it was it was such a you unique like combination. Yeah, and, he could shoot,
3: and this is but why Steve very much. This is why, why? Steve Nash is, is. This is why I think Steve Nash is the the beginner of the seven seconds or less uh, era is the reason because he was the one that bought into it and got everybody else to buy into it. If you rewind to like eighty nine, ninety, or actually, I'm sorry, back in the early eighties, Paul Westhead tried to implement a similar Mm -hmm. system with the Lakers, and Magic Johnson wasn't having it. He was like, no, this is terrible. And that's the Showtime Lakers. And then Pat Riley came in and and taught more of a defensive style, but infused some of Westhead's principles into their offense, and Magic, Magic bought into it. Could you imagine Magic and the seven seconds or less kind of system with Byron Scott, Cooper, worthy just running they would run people out of the gym mm-hmm. but magic would buy into it and mm-hmm. that's yeah. the reason why that didn't go
2: cool. well for d'antoni's system it was like a, a giving a a jazz musician who had to play specifically what was in front of him originally and then uh, d'antoni comes in and says play what you want play your play what you're best at you know mm-hmm. improvise and give me something magical. And that's what he did for Steve Nash. Some of the most amazing things about those seven seconds or less uh, days and that offense is you'd watch Steve Nash weave his way into the lane, to the baseline, find a way to kick it to a guy. Like it was improvisational. It it felt like it was so free-flowing, and and that was one of the amazing things about it.
3: The the seven seconds or less Suns prided themselves on – running sets that were on the break okay yeah. so everybody had a, a had a lane or a position and then based on the movement of of said defense as they're running down the court guys would would maneuver their positioning as well you always had the staples in terms of like spacing guys on each side of the floor that can shoot and then trailers like amari was a phenomenal trailer probably one of the best in the history of the game uh, in terms of being able to finish at the basket and, and really understanding where Nash was at any p- point in time, and, yeah. and then when that broke down, they always had these secondary sets that were quick, fast action, quick uh, secondary well, flare sets. out
1: to the three point line. They were one of the exactly. first teams that, on a fast break, would have flare outs to the three yep. for outlets if if uh, the other team was defending the rim mm-hmm. um, on on the fast breaks. The other the Suns had a couple of Mike D'Antoni had a couple of tenants that were very important to him uh, to get them back on offense as quickly as possible he's uh, they they committed just about the fewest fouls in the league in those years yep. because he's like look let them just make the layup and then and then on the layup make immediately throw the ball down the court and get into transition even on made baskets nobody we're gonna had match that or hit a
0: three on the other end and that's just as good as it too
1: exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and and even if you just got a two and all we're getting is a two on a fast break it you only had three seconds to have that two-point advantage (laughs) because they would just boom get all the way down there
0: so obviously this seven seconds or less offense translates to a lot of regular season success they started out 31 and 4 as you previously mentioned david and they ended up with 62 wins on the season 62 and 20 and the number one seed in the western conference which lands them a first round matchup with the memphis grizzlies they make quick work of that and then they run into dallas in the second round a very formidable opponent they are able to Nash's team it. that he had to prove himself against, and this was a big hump for uh Steven Ash to kind of get over. and He's able to do that in six games. Is there any specific moments from that series in 05 against Dallas that you specifically remember that you want to touch on? Steve, well, Nash I think that a man, yeah. that's 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 Steve the, Nash was a man. Sorry, like was the man. big shot he in that series. He What's was that? Awesome. Didn't he average like 30 points in that series or something yeah. like that? Yeah, and almost it was 48 a in game four. In
1: one game, yeah. Um, he had uh, his – the I, I forget which game of the series it was, but it basically tilted the series. So maybe it was game five. It was either game five or game six. And the Suns were down with seconds left, and Nash just scurried down the court – Um, And got himself an open three on the wing and drained it to either send it to overtime or give the Suns a lead. But it was just that moment. I'll never forget his hair flying around him flying around because the jerseys were all loose back then. The shorts were all loose and he's just dribbling around like this. And all of a sudden the ball's in the air and the Mavericks are all uh, almost punching each other for letting leaving him open in the final seconds of that game uh that that was i think his his 40 point oh yeah dirk Nowitzki
3: ripped jason terry's butt for that one
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that was yeah that because was because all team. the teams have been taught yeah. teams have been taught sink to the rim sink to the rim on a fast break sink to the rim and the Suns were one of the first teams to go yeah we're not going all that far we're going to stop at the three-point line and jack up a three in transition that's be beautiful to watch
0: three is more than two
1: Three is more than two. Simple
0: math. Simple, simple yes. math. But yeah, that, that game was game six. So Steve Nash hits a three uh, to tie the game with five seconds left. Then Dallas misses their chance to take the lead. They go to overtime. Suns win in overtime and they move on to their first conference finals. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, since 1993 when they went to the NBA finals against uh, Michael Jordan's Bulls. But they face the San Antonio Spurs, which is a uh, a common theme that we will address multiple times going into this. But <laughs> it really it really tests uh, philosophies here. It tests yeah. the top offense in the league against the top defense. And, you know, in baseball, there's this common thing of what good pitching will be good hitting. And sometimes that is true and sometimes it's not. But in this series... It was about defense. Good. Does good defense beat good offense? And the answer to that was yes. Unfortunately for the Suns. So what? What about the, the the Spurs? Made them such a bad matchup for the Suns. And why were they able to
2: to stunt the the offense that the Suns were bringing? will not you go, I think in this series it had a lot to do with Mike D'Antoni. Not adjusting, uh, you know, and and kind of just not being ready for the big lights. I mean, obviously the Spurs had been there. You know, they'd won a a, a title in in '99. They were one of the best teams in in the league. They were they were basically what the Suns were trying to get to. That they were the, the you know the top of the West there. Amari Stoudemire plays unbelievable in this series uh, going up against Tim Duncan. It's hard to look at him and, and put any of the the real blame uh, in terms of how well he played offensively. But in the end, the Spurs just had that grit and that experience in, in this series that I think made it difficult in year one of seven seconds or less. This was such a magical ride. They hadn't really faced any adversity up to that point. You could argue maybe a little bit in that Mav series, but uh, this was the first time somebody really punched him in the mouth, and you know Mike Tyson's or old the saying, eye socket. Yeah, well, that's true too. But uh, Mike Tyson has the had the old saying, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, the the Suns got punched in the mouth and didn't know how to react a, at this point, and that's why you know it's a it's a four one series win for the Spurs here. I just I don't think they were prepared for. For the the bright lights and and what the Spurs were were gonna bring and what they were willing to do to win too because let's not forget the Spurs in this time are a very dirty team as well they're willing to to blur those rules to get the win as well and on top Love. of that
0: Spurs had been in the limelight they had been in the spotlight they had won you know they had been successful oh three they were champions in nineteen ninety nine they were champions so they have a battle tested team whereas. Nobody really on the Suns except for maybe Steve Nash when he was with the Mavericks really had that same playoff experience. And the team had just been, you know, brought together that one year. So imagine how this team would have been years down the line. However, in that offseason, the team actually does change quite a bit. And Joe Johnson is traded to Atlanta. I believe Quentin Richardson leaves after that year as well. So, but... When you see that, okay, no more Joe Johnson, no more, no more Q. Do you think, like, why are you doing this? Like, was it a head scratcher at the time?
1: uh, I was uh, Saul. You got to take a turn. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say we were actually. I was really excited about about those moves on Q was high volume, low percentage, kind of like 2021's Jay Crowder. Um, And uh, trading him for Kurt Thomas was actually a genius move because the Suns needed a little bit more size in the middle. Uh, they They were not quite ready. Amari hated playing center, just hated it. Sean Marion hated playing power forward. This is before the new era of the NBA when there were still huge centers and still huge power forwards out there. So Amari and the league wasn't ready and Amari and Sean weren't ready to be the the five and the four. So they brought in Kurt Thomas to anchor the defense. I thought that was absolutely brilliant um, to swap him for Quentin Richardson. The biggest problem that the Suns had, two biggest problems the Suns had, was Joe Johnson's soured relationship with the front office. He just last week did a podcast with uh maybe it was roger bell uh but anyways is a podcast with one of the former nba players on the suns it must have been roger bell and joe said god you know what if that could have worked out we'd have definitely won championships well joe you're the one who insisted on leaving because you felt slighted the year before when you were coming off a bad year actually um even though you were still really young that that he forced his way out of town that sucked and then amari Coming down, needing microfracture surgery in the off and missing the entire next season. If the Suns had had Kurt Thomas and Amari and Sean Marion, uh, they could have they could have absorbed the loss of Joe, even if uh, Boris Diaw hadn't developed the way he did. I I mean the, the Spurs. Going back to the Spurs, real,
3: real point, real quick. Uh, they were the one team that felt like matched up with the Suns, um, man for man. And we're able to play at a slower pace on purpose. And it's easy to say, you know, okay, well, we'll just slow the ball down. Some teams just can't do that. You know, some teams, yeah. you know, if you told the Golden State Warriors, we're going to have to grind it out today because we you know, we don't have Klay Thompson. We don't have so-and-so, like, let's just slow it down. Like, they would not be able to play that style. Like, that's just not how they're built. Right. And the Spurs, they that's what they do. They methodically wear you down. And that's what they did to the Suns. And the and the the real caveat to that, and the real consistent part of that, was Tim Duncan being able to produce the way he did. And then obviously Manu Ginobili. Honestly, I think those are the two. And then Bruce Bowen being the yeah. the pest and the the real instigator to get under people's skin and and bother them and just enough to throw them off. And he did it to Steve several times. And it's just they were the perfect team to match up with this team.
0: So yeah. the five oh sixteen. Or sorry, go
2: ahead. That's I was. I was game. just gonna say that the other thing about that that off season, you know, you look at uh, Dave. You bring up Kurt Thomas, but I I think getting Raja Bell uh, in the yeah. off season yeah. too Roger is Bell such a huge, great. Yeah. A, a huge upgrade uh, as well. Because yeah, Quinton was streaky, wasn't going to be a defensive guy, but Raja comes in. Uh, gives you a little bit of that edge that you saw with the Spurs that you felt like you were missing and, and also is surprisingly uh, efficient offensively. I mean he winds up with uh, the second or excuse me, the third most points per game that season for the team as well. so so that move they they make these moves where yes, losing Joe Johnson a, a big deal, especially when you see what Joe becomes in Atlanta, but they make these moves on the fringe where they, they add Raja Bell, Boris DL and Tim Tom, or excuse me. And I almost said our old co co-host Tim Tom can say Kurt Thomas, uh, (laughs) Kurt Thomas uh, in there, as well as uh, later in the year, Tim, uh, Tim Thomas and, uh, and these little moves wind up paying off really, really big dividends uh, in, in this season. Mm -hmm. so the loss of amari definitely
0: hurts the team's record they go from 62 wins to just 54 but still a really good team because of these additions Mm -hmm. with Raja bell and kurt thomas being able to anchor that defense and yeah and so they become the number two seed in the west they have a tough series though with kobe and the lakers especially you know that infamous um buzzer beater i believe that was able to go up three games to one.
1: Yeah. And it took a three, one lead in the yeah. first
0: round. And you know, I was wins. so
2: mad. <laughs> <laughs> that's a testament to how good Kobe was though, because it's yes. also a, a testament N- to how Kobe crappy the refs were
1: too. Cause Nash was fouled right before that game. Oh, win. I, <laughs> yeah,
2: that I, I agree. Good. But if you go look at that roster, that's around Kobe Bryant. It's it's guys. You go, what? Like, really? Mm. This is who, this Marsh is Parker. who, Kobe in his prime had to had to lug these guys around. He did like have Lamar was, Odom. It, yes, Lamar was was very good at that time. But we're not yeah. talking, we're not talking the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. We're talking a, a very Kobe. very. Yeah weak Lakers he roster center. he, he absolutely
1: hated he had uh point, point guard he absolutely hated you know Kobe Kobe definitely had a, a a really tall hill to climb to get over that but they almost did they were up 3-1 they actually had a lead in game six with uh um, I think it was game six and Tim Thomas hit that mm-hmm. hit the um hit the shot at the very end there um that otherwise the Lakers would have just gone home with that series.
2: Yeah, I will, but th- this is this is where the Suns team, I think, learned some resiliency. Right, mm. a lot of it had been easy to that point. You know, even even you lose Amari and you still win fifty four games, but you get into this first round series against a team that, on paper, you're significantly better than, and and then you realize, oh, it's not, it's not easy it shouldn't be easy it's it's